Please pray with me. God Almighty, we give you thanks this day for your word, for your word for us, and for your presence in our lives. We ask your blessing on this time as we reflect on your word and learn something new for us this day. May it be from you. Amen. Like many people, I'm very impatient. During this tail end of the pandemic, for instance, we've been trying to do some projects around the church, and every time we're ready to proceed, it seems as though contractors aren't available or supplies aren't available or people are booking things so many months out. I, I want them to happen now, right? We're so used to having things when we want them. Over the past year, I remember times when ordering online would take several days instead of the mere moments that it feels as though I've grown accustomed to experiencing. Immediate results. Immediate results, it seems, are what I'm always seeking. When I was growing up, even when I was quite little, I remember wanting to be a pastor someday. I would gather my stuffed animals and I would recreate the worship service from church. I'd bring the bulletin home and I would usually have a sermon. I'm sure it didn't resemble the one in church at all. And I would even serve communion. This was from a young age. And as I grew older, I went through phases of wanting to be and do other things, but I often returned to that tug toward being a pastor. People always figured it was what I would do. At one point, I started mapping out and learning more about the process and thinking about all the education and the steps it would take. And I'll be honest, I was a bit frustrated by it, and I felt that that formation was a long time. I went to a Jesuit high school, and I was talking with a Jesuit priest who was a mentor of mine, and I was lamenting that long process in our church, and then he told me that to become a Jesuit, it can take up to 10 to 12 years. And I remember being so surprised by this. And I said something like, wow, that's a long time. I can't imagine spending that much time feeling called to ministry, but not quite being done. He responded with a little chuckle, but no explanation. I finally figured out what was behind that chuckle about 20 years later when I realized for myself that after so many detours, I was finally in seminary at the age of 38 and finally realizing at that point that my faith formation, my journey toward being done, whatever that means, would never end. It didn't end when I was graduating from high school or college. It didn't end when I was a leader at camps or working with youth and young adults. It didn't end when I finally went to seminary and passed my courses, including my, all my ordination exams, or even when I was actually ordained as a pastor. What took me so long to realize is that all the markers and indicators along the way all of the time, all of the experiences were continued development, and they were growth along a continued growing path, a continued journey of faith, but also a continued development of my own understanding of God. And as much as my impatience does lead me to want things immediately, I'm growing more and more to realize the gift of the slow work. The gift of slowing down and understanding that things take time for a reason. 
I think a lot about this when a couple is engaged to be married and we talk about marriage and I, and I learn about their concerns and about their excitement about marriage and about that wedding day. And this period of engagement can be a time of growing used to the idea of the next step of the journey. But that wedding that seems to involve so much planning isn't the end. It's, it's as we know, the beginning. And on this Father's Day, I think about parents or expectant parents who have this built-in waiting period, a literal gestation period while their child is being formed. They have this built-in period to become a parent. But even then, the development isn't over, right? It, it continues, and it continues to develop and change through various phases of life. I was talking recently with a man who's a father, whose son recently became a father. And even then, the relationship, the, the dynamic between him and his son changed dramatically as he watched his son develop into that fatherly role. And his role changed as well. And isn't this the same with all of our other transitions in life? All of us experience transitions, whether it's geographic transitions when we move, retirement, kids moving on or moving out or even getting married, or, or like I said, having their own children. And in all of these transitions, we're continuing to grow and develop. Some of the transitions are hard. Actually, many of them are hard. But some are particularly difficult as they mean parting with some freedoms or, or even learning to rely upon other people in new and different ways. Transitions are quite familiar to us. And somehow our ability to elastically adapt to the changing world can also be changed or challenged though by our circumstances. But in the end, we grow. We make the adjustments necessary and with the help of others who love us, we begin to adjust to a new normal and to finding ways to find joy in our circumstances. Joy in our circumstances. Something so interesting happened to me recently. I was at a doctor's appointment with my father and the doctor asked the usual medical questions. And then he asked the question, where do you find joy in each day? I was so surprised by this question. Dad looked at me, I looked at him, and, and I realized that this question is one that I probably don't ask myself enough. Not the general question of what brings you joy. I think that question's easy to answer with trite responses of flowers or laughter or seeing our family. This question was more specific about how we look for ways to experience joy in a given day. This past year has been one where so much of our joy was stripped away. We were all forced to make transitions in our lives, different transitions for sure, particularly different for families or for single people and based on our age, our types of employment, all of these different, different circumstances. But the storm didn't impact us all the same. But for all of us, the storm of the last year and a half impacted our lives. It, it forced us to adapt. And for many people, the joy may have even disappeared at times. The, the joy that was previously all around us in our travel to see loved ones or our freedoms and comforts, even the joy of a quiet train ride home at the end of a long workday, an opportunity to decompress before jumping into the activities of the evening. The joy of a meal with friends even, 
The joy of worshiping together in a sanctuary with glances across the pews to someone who brings you comfort simply by seeing them and smiling at them during a hymn. You see, that disappearance of our regular joy in our lives, it forced transitions. It forced us to examine our lives and to develop in new and different ways. And that's exactly what so many people, what so many of you have been able to do. Even in the hard, even in the storm, you found ways to adapt and even to deepen relationships. Instead of riding the train home, I, I talked to one person who now takes a solo bike ride or a walk after the end of the business day to make that transition so that they can find joy in their time with their family after having worked all day. You know, we've heard so many stories of adapted celebrations, of outdoor meals, of all the ways that connection and even joy could be cultivated. Human resilience and continued human development is so naturally and intrinsically a part of our identities. We know this well. Our lives are filled with transitions and diversions and adaptations. And even when we resist, even when we resist them, we do somehow adapt. And friends, it can be the same way with our faith. How often, though, we think of our faith as something more static. We become a member of a church, or we're confirmed, or we finish a new member class. At some point, we make a decision to be a part of a faith community, and at some point, perhaps even inherited from birth, we're identified as a Christian or a person of faith, a follower of Jesus. So often in my preaching, I like to take us back to those early disciples to think about what it was like for them when they decided to follow Jesus. In many ways, the decision to follow Jesus appears for them to be a sudden one. They're invited to come or even instructed or directed to come and follow, and they drop what they're doing and they go with Jesus. We point to this moment often as a moment of faith and a moment of deep trust. And it had to have been, right? At the same time, same time, though, they really had no clue what they were doing and who they were following. As much as we're not being asked to drop everything to follow Jesus, I think we can more easily relate to the, the disciples when we think about how little they really knew about God and about Jesus at the time they're asked to follow. When joining a church, whether we do so as an adolescent or later in life, we don't have things all figured out, even when we think we do. What we do know is that the world around us, our world, our family life, our relationships, our experience of the news of the world, our concerns, our anxieties, our storms of our lives, the, the pivots and turns, the ups and downs, we know all this. We know our world around us. We know our experiences and our struggles. We know our likes and dislikes. We know what feels good and what pains us. We get these things. And we experience these things regardless of whether we acknowledge God and regardless of whether we're engaged on a journey with God. But the invitation of our faith is really an invitation to an exploration of growing, of developing our understanding of what it means to love and follow God. In our gospel text this morning, I have to wonder whether the disciples were having some struggles imagining how they got to where they are. They've been following Jesus, and they've been learning from him. But their development, their, their formation is still just beginning. 
They've been hearing stories of Jesus. They've been experiencing his love for the people that he encounters in the form of miracles and wonders. And not unlike us, they've been going through the motions of being a Christ follower. And in the midst of their following, they're still yet experiencing life's challenges. The challenges of health concerns, the the challenges of aging and of loss and of pain. They're experiencing the storms of life that keep coming their way. And in the midst of of this storm, actually in, in their case, a storm on a boat and a storm that seems to threaten their very existence. In this storm, they cry out to God, help, where are you? What is going on here? Do something. Jesus is asleep on the boat and they are crying out for help and friends, These are our cries, aren't they? These cries of the disciples are the cries that we too scream, if only from inside the quiet space of our solitude. These are the cries of the human experience, cries in the midst of storms that make it hard for us to find courage within ourselves. Reality is that the storms of our lives are worthy of fear. The storms of isolation and pain, the storms of sorrow and rejection, the storms of physical and mental health struggles, of financial problems or lost jobs or broken relationships. And Jesus doesn't ever say that there's nothing to be afraid of. Jesus says that he is with you in the midst of your fear, in the midst of your storm. Jesus says to these disciples, these ones we look to as being the models of our faith, Jesus looks at them and says, don't be afraid. He looks at them and he looks at us and he reminds us that God is with us in the midst of all the storms and all the things we fear. God is with us and God is stronger. Do not be afraid. We've, we've, we've heard this message so many times in scripture from angels and from prophets and from God and from Jesus, but it is never, there is nothing to be afraid of, but rather always do not be afraid because of the one with whom you are in the boat. The fears you experience are not the end of the story. Even though there are things in our lives worthy of fear, those things do not need to control us or to have control over us because the one in the boat is stronger and we are not alone. Crossing over the sea in the midst of the storm, the disciples, you see, they're continuing to learn and to know who this Jesus might be. They're, they're crossing over and in the midst of their fear and in crying out to God in the, in the midst of that fear and in trusting God in the, in the midst of their fear, they're crossing over from fear into a deeper faith, from fear to faith. Our faith journey is one of these makings of the crossings. In the midst of our storms, And learning more and more about this one who gives us the comfort of knowing we're not alone. The one who says to the violence and turbulence of that sea and the one who speaks into the chaos of our lives. This one who with arms stretch wide, speaking right into all that we might fear, saying, peace, be still. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.